Here we go. Week two, Foundational Truths, part two. And we've been starting this series last week about maturing in the faith. God expects us to mature in the faith. He expects us to grow. He expects us to learn. He expects us to then carry some of the load, carry our part of the load. And so believers who have been following Christ for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, but who have not matured, that's a problem. Uh, you know, we want to be growing. And so we've been going through Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 3, and talking about the foundational truths that need to be in place so that we can make progress. You know, if you repeated third grade every year through 12th grade, wouldn't you get just bored out of your mind? You know, like it would drive me nuts. It's boring to just be stuck in the same place. But we need to get the the third grade concepts down before we can move on to the next thing. And so if we can't get those things down, then we stagnate and it's depressing and no fun. And we want to make progress and see God move in great and muddy ways. I know it's not that bad. It's going to be okay. But let's look at Hebrews 5, starting in verse 11, and we see some frustration here uh, in the scriptures. So let's, let's look at this. You don't see this verse on coffee cups very often or on the little posters and stuff. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Have you ever tried to explain something to somebody and they just couldn't get it? You know, like you're trying to teach someone how to run their computer or how to change a tire, and they just can't seem to catch it. And it can be frustrating, and that frustration seems to be expressed here in Hebrews in the uh, personal growth of the individuals in the church. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Now, by leaving the elementary teachings, what that means is have them down so that we can keep them and move on to more complicated things, move on to deeper things. And so we we need to have these, have them uh, firmly rooted in our heart, and then we can go on to greater things. So Leave the elementary teachings and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of. And so here's our six fundamental foundational teachings. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting We will do so. So these are those six foundational truths, elementary teachings that are being talked about here in Hebrews. And so we're going to cover all six of these and grab a hold of them so that we can learn and grow. And uh, that's just where we're at. We need to learn and grow. Last week, we talked about repentance from acts that lead to death. 
And uh, there's no mistake that repentance is the first one on the list because it's the thing that prepares the way for the Lord. John the Baptist's message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus was coming. They needed to get their hearts open and turn to God so that Jesus could come and do what he was meant to do. And that's true also for us personally, individually. When we come to a place of repentance, then God can move in our hearts and he can do in us what he wants to do. But when we're resistant, when we're obstinate, when we're pushing God away, then we're not going to be able to receive the good things of God. So the first thing is repentance. And last week we talked about what is repentance. Well, it's the word meta and then the word consider. So basically what it means is to rise above your life, look at yourself and reconsider the direction of your life. To think about, where am I going? What am I doing? How am I seeing the world? Am I on the right path? To reconsider everything about who you are and then decide, I am now going to go with God. I have decided I'm not going to resist God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to put my faith in God and I'm going with God. That's repentance. It can involve a heavy emotional time Or it can just be a simple decision. But what it means is that you consider your life and you think, yep, I'm going with God. At some point, you have to say, I'm in to Jesus and then just accept his lordship over your life and go with him. That's repentance from acts that lead to death. This week, faith in God. All right, let's pray a little bit more. We'll get into this new material. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for each one here. Father, thank you for your holy scriptures, your truth that we can stand on firmly, a firm foundation that will not shake under our feet, that will not wash away, but that we can stand on fully and completely without fear. Father, show us how to grab hold of these foundational truths. And Lord, for each one, as we're all in different places, dealing with different things, fighting different parts of this battle, Lord, show us the thing we need to see in order to believe in you better, in order to serve you more effectively, in order to love you a little more. Lord, show us individually what we need to take a step forward this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Faith in God. Faith is the catalyst that unlocks the power of God. Faith unlocks the power of God. The power may be there, but it may be latent. You may not be able to grab hold of it, but when faith is added to the power of God, it unlocks the power of God. Let's go to Matthew 17, starting in verse 18. This is the story of the man who brings his his young boy, his son, to the disciples to get a demon cast out. The disciples try and fail. Bummer. Then Jesus shows up, And here's what happens. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Like, we know this is what you wanted to have happen. We we tried and it didn't work. Why is that? Have you ever thought that to yourself? How come I'm trying to see the things of God happen and it's not working? Here's the answer Jesus gives, which might be a little out of bounds for us to say in today's world. 
He replied, because you have so little faith. <laughs> he said, it's your fault for not trusting God enough. <laughs> Super. Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Faith is the catalyst that unlocks the power of God in your life, in the church, for the kingdom of God. Faith unlocks the power of God. Now it says here, faith as small as a mustard seed gives you the ability to move mountains. So should we all just carpool out to Spirit Mountain, get that thing chucked into Lake Superior, and then everybody will know that Jesus is Lord? Would that be a good idea? We could even, we could market it, you know? We could be like, well, on January 1st, we're going to start a new year by having a church service out at Spirit Mountain, and we're going to believe for Spirit Mountain to be chucked into Lake Superior and have every, have the news people there. Would that be a good idea? It'd be interesting. Some people might come. Um, I'm not so sure how well it would go. What is? What does this mean? What this means is that there are things that you right now, and I mean you individually, all of us in here, me included, there are things that we think are impossible that God is ready to do right now if we will believe, if we will grab hold of his power and trust him, he will do it. There are things that are right there, ready to happen, that we think are impossible. But God will do if we put our faith and trust in him. Let me give you an example of that. One example is forgiveness. Do you know the power for each person to be completely, totally forgiven and made right with God, is it's right here. It's right here. If we put our faith in what Jesus has done on the cross, then we can be completely, totally, perfectly forgiven and made right with God. It's right there. There are people that think that's impossible for them, that they're too far gone, that they're just too messed up, that they're, they're too damaged. And that's a lie. And the reality is that the power of God to make you right with him, to make you pure and holy and a citizen of heaven and a co-heir with Christ, that power is right there. All you have to do is believe it, trust in it, and you can receive the power of God for forgiveness. It's faith which allows you to tap into God's power. We're going to read Hebrews 4, 2. Now, you need to read a few chapters of Hebrew to, Hebrews to really get the full vision of what's going on here in, in verse 2 of chapter 4. But we're going to read this little verse, and I encourage you to read the whole chapter because it's some deep stuff. But let's look at this. Hebrews 4, 2. For we, have, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. The message they heard was of no value to them. What was the message they heard? It was the gospel. (laughs) The gospel was of no value. Isn't that amazing that the gospel can be of no value? How can the gospel be of no value? Well, it's of no value when people do not combine it with faith. When they don't believe it, it doesn't do any good. It's just dismissed and ignored. 
I've asked this question a few times. I'll continue to ask it as the years go by. Which word is most powerful in your life? The word that someone spoke over you? The word about yourself that you believe? Or God's word? Which is most powerful in your life? I tell you this, it is the one that you believe. If someone spoke a lie over you years ago and said, you're not good enough, you're never going to amount to anything, and you believed it, then you will start living in that truth. If you combine faith with that lie, that lie will have power over your life. If you look at yourself and you, you believe lies about yourself and you combine faith with the lie you've told yourself, it will have power over your life. But if you put faith on the actual truth, the word of God, and you see yourself through God's eyes and you put your faith on that, then the power of God will be on you so that you can grab your identity in Christ and become who he created you to be. You seeing that? (laughs) Believe the word of God because somebody's words spoken over you, your thoughts about yourself or God's word, which one is the most true? God's word is true. There are no lies in the word of God. Believe the truth. Believe the truth of God. Now we must combine faith with God's plan. God has a plan. We need to combine it with faith. There are times where... uh, If you don't have faith, you miss the plan of God. One of the neat things about Good Hope Church is that we have a church board that is full of faith. And after going on one of the trips to Jamaica, I thought, man, it would be so great if this children's home could have sponsors for the kids that are in the home, because if they had sponsors, then they wouldn't be in this economic turmoil all the time, and that would be so great. And so I had this vision for child sponsorship for the kids at the New Vision Children's Home in in Jamaica, and... Uh, I brought it to the church board and I thought, well, you know, we're going to have to get a bunch of churches together so that we can get this to work. And the church board said to me, you know what? I think we can do this just, just us. I think we can do it just with our congregation. I was like, really? It's a big project. I mean, you're talking about funding an entire children's home in another country. That's a big project for one congregation to do. I said, no, I think we can do it. Okay. And then, you know, Ryan took all the pictures on our missions trip of all the kids and, and put the cards together and, and then Trinette printed them out and, and, uh, organized the thing. And in three weeks, we had all the kids fully sponsored. Just from here. So the vision was combined with faith and it came to pass. Something I thought would be neat, but didn't have the faith for, the board had the faith for, and then it all happened. Hallelujah for that. There are things that we think are impossible that God is ready to do if we will put our faith on it. Now, next very important concept. Put um, 6-1 up there, Hebrews 6-1 up there again. Hebrews 6-1. So, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the acts that lead to death and of faith in God. The in God part is really, 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 really important. It's not just having faith. It's having faith in God. 
You can have faith in the lie that was spoken over you that you're never going to amount to anything and all that stuff, and then that'll have power. But we're to have faith in God, not just have faith. And so I'm going to cover three things that uh, people can have faith in that aren't God. And these are things I've seen Christians put their faith in. And so we want to avoid these things and we want to put our trust and our faith in God. So first thing that we can get wrong as far as putting our faith in is putting our faith in faith. When you read verses like, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could cast, uh, you know, this mountain into the sea and things like that. Then you think, okay, well, I just need to have more faith then. And people grit their teeth and go, and try to get more faith. Does that give you more faith? Haven't you done that? Have you done that? Maybe I'm the only one. Uh, haven't you just tried to have more faith? What, what are you looking at? You're looking at yourself. You're looking at me trying to have more faith. I'm not now trusting God more. I'm looking at myself and my thought processes and, you know, trying to do something myself in myself. That's faith in faith. We have to have faith in God. How do you get more faith in God? It isn't by gritting your teeth and trying to have more faith. It's by hearing the word of God and believing it more and more. Romans 10, 17 says this. Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. We need to hear the word. You know, When we put our faith in God, we put our faith in God's promises. We don't get to pick what God's promises are. I told this story last night. And when I was a new believer, I asked God for the ability to not have to sleep. I had, you know, I was working nights, I was working days, I had other stuff going on. And I just asked God, see, it would be so good if I didn't have to sleep. So I prayed for that. And you know, that worked for a while. I get a half hour here, an hour there, whatever. And I went on for, for a pretty long time that way. And then uh, I actually was talking to someone and I fell asleep while I was talking to them. You know, have you ever been so tired you can feel it? You know, your eyes start to flap and you're like, oh no, here I go. And, and poof, you're just, you're just gone. And I'm like, well, okay. There is no promise in the Bible that we'll not have to sleep. That's just faith in presumption. I'm just making something up and trying to get it to work and trying to convince God to get on board with my plan. Well, it just doesn't work that way. Faith in God is finding God's promises and trusting him for those things, not giving God my idea and trying to get him to do that. So put your faith in God, not your faith in your ability to have faith to make things happen. Next one, faith in pretending. This is an icky one. It's when you say you have faith in God, but you ignore God and you do everything your own way. It's when you say, yeah, I know it says we're supposed to love our neighbor, but my neighbor's a, yeah, I know we're supposed to forgive, but I can't. Yeah, I know we're not supposed to covet, but it's when we, when we say we believe, but we ignore the things of God, we are pretending. So, I prefer wrestling, but I'm going to use a basketball analogy. (laughs) So let's say there's a coach 
a basketball coach. Do the players know that the coach exists? Yep. They know the coach exists. Do they believe in their coach? Maybe, maybe not. They believe their coach is real, but do they trust their coach? Do they have faith in their coach? Well, let's find out. So let's say there's four seconds left in the game. They're down by one. And this coach's team is inbounding the ball. They're getting it at half court. They've got four seconds to make a shot. They make the shot. They win. They miss. They lose. And the coach calls a timeout, brings the team together, says, all right, guys, I've been waiting for this moment. Coach's dream, four seconds left. I've got the play for you. Here it is. And he explains the play, what they're going to do, who's going to inbound to who, and what the pass is going to be, and here's how it's going to work. And the coach tells them this, and if it's a little bit of a weird play and the the players don't really understand it, but they have faith in their coach, what are they going to do? They're going to run the play. If it's a little weird and they don't really understand it, but they don't have faith in their coach, what are they going to do? Say, dude, just pass me the ball. I'll take care of it. They won't run the play. So faith in God is running the play. There are lots of them in the playbook. (laughs) If we read the play and we say, nah, I've got a better idea, then we're pretending to believe. We're pretending to have faith. If I say, yeah, coach, I got great faith in you. I'm just not going to run your play because it's stupid. Is that faith in your coach? No. doesn't matter if you say you have faith in your coach or not. You just don't. If we say we have faith and we won't run the play that God has called, we don't have faith in God. We might think he's real, but we don't trust him. We might think he's there and we don't want him mad at us, but we certainly don't think his ways are better than our ways. So we must not pretend. Titus 1.16. This one's kind of mean. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing anything good. We don't want to pretend. Let me tell you the good news. The good news is God is worth trusting. God's ways are worth grabbing hold of because his ways are good. Don't pretend. Love the ways of God. The last one, and I've seen Christians do all three of these, is putting your faith in catastrophes. (laughs) Putting your faith in catastrophes. What in the world is that? This one's, it's directly self-destructive, but people don't always see it as self-destructive. Now, if you were a kid and you had a big test the next day or you had a whole bunch of homework that you hadn't done and you weren't ready for the school day the next day, what did you hope for? Two things, being sick or a snowstorm, right? Your salvation came from either illness, personal illness, or natural disaster, Those were the things that were going to rescue you. Oh, please let it be a snow day. Who has just wished for a snow day? I mean, come on. And now this is another step up. Who's taking the thermometer to the light bulb? Oh, 110. Ah, 
telling you you end up at the emergency room, you know, but you got to you got to check it, you know, make sure it's 101, you know, something like that. You don't want to get too far. But once you start hoping for the excuse, hoping for the catastrophe to happen so that you're no longer responsible to have to deal with the situation, then you're putting your faith in catastrophe and you are trying to be saved by difficult circumstances, saved by a problem. People get addicted to chaos. They get addicted to catastrophes. It's not good. They prefer the excuse for failure to success and overcoming. We must not prefer the excuse and feel like, oh, good, I've got an excuse. (sighs) Yeah. No, don't yearn for the salvation of an excuse. Instead, have faith to overcome. John 16, 33 says this. I have told you these things so that in me, so Jesus is speaking, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Instead of, oh Lord, let me be sick so I don't have to take my history test. Pray, Father, I know you want me to pass this test. Help me to get the grade. I need, I need a D minus. I know you can do that for me. And believe God to overcome in the situation. Believe God, you know, maybe even a C the next time and maybe even a B minus the test after that. Make progress. But believe God to overcome. Don't believe for an excuse. Don't believe for a catastrophe to happen so that your responsibility is eliminated. Instead, believe for the power to overcome the difficulty difficult circumstances. Amen? So we don't want to put our faith in faith. We don't want to put our faith in the next one, pretending. (laughs) That's why notes are so good. I can only think of one thing at a time. And then uh, we don't want to put our faith in an excuse. We want to put our faith in God. We want to trust God and believe for good things to happen. Real faith in God loves God. And I mean that. Understand. Let's just take a second. Real faith in God loves God. Do you love God? I mean, it's one thing to think God is real. You know? I've, I've made this joke before. What if on my anniversary, I got a, a card from my wife And I said, so this next summer will be our 27th anniversary. And I said, honey, on our 27th anniversary, I just wanted to say, I acknowledge your existence. Is that loving my wife? No. (laughs) And if we just say to God, I acknowledge your existence. It's not what God's going for. He wants us to love him. And if you don't love God, I'm not saying just feel guilty about that and continue not loving God. How do you get to love God? It's actually very simple. Get to know God. When you get to know God through worship, through prayer, through studying the word, through putting into practice God's principles and seeing what happens, when you get to know God, you will get to love God because God is good. God is wonderful and beautiful, and he loves you, and he's pulling for you. Love God. 
Real faith is fully convinced that God's ways are the best ways. That his commands are there to help you. Real faith believes that if we can just learn God's ways and put them into practice, then that's the path to abundant life. If we can just find out what are God's ways and grab hold of them, that's abundant life. Real faith knows what God has promised and what God has not promised. We can't just believe for whatever. We have to believe for the promises. You want to know what God has promised? Then read your Bible. There's lots of things in there. Then act on what you read and you will understand God's promises. Real faith is not shaken by circumstances. Now, I am a huge fan of personal reevaluation of your life. If the circumstances in your life are not what you think they should be, look at yourself, reevaluate, make some changes. But real faith in God is also not shaken by circumstances. Oh, it's not going very well. Oh, now I'm mad at God. Or now I'm not sure if he's really there. Real faith is not shaken by circumstances. I love Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 14. This is the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, great Sunday school uh, story. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Oh, you just got your fancy God. That's great. See how that goes when I throw you in the furnace. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Can you imagine saying that to the dude who wants to throw you in the furnace? Yeah, just try it. God will defend us. We don't even need to take care of ourselves. God will take care of us. Is that confidence? Is that faith? Oh, man. But it's a faith that can't be shaken. Look at the next verse. But even if he does not, even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. We'd rather burn alive in the furnace, even if he doesn't rescue us. Now, we're pretty sure he's going to. He's well able to rescue us, but even if he doesn't, doesn't matter. We won't serve your gods. We serve the Lord Almighty. Real faith is not shaken by circumstances. Real faith continues to trust. And real faith knows that when we stick with God, we're going to win in the end. It's a long road. You know, John 16, in this world, you'll have trouble. There will be trouble. It's a long road, but we win in the end. That's real faith. I'm going to invite the prayer teams and the ushers forward. It's the first weekend of the month. We're going to receive communion this weekend, uh, this morning in our service. 
I'm going to invite the, the uh, again the prayer teams and the ushers. We're going to receive communion. I said, real faith knows what God has promised and what he has not. And I want to give you something to put your faith on, a promise from God that is in the scriptures that we can look at, we can understand, and that we can grab hold of. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. As the uh, elements are being handed out, Ephesians chapter 2. Boy, this is so great. Let me sneak in here. Thank you. Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 11, tells us to remember something. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. We're supposed to remember being separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, foreigners to the covenant, and being without hope and without God. Super. This Thanksgiving, I went to visit my family, and my parents got the blood test genealogy thing. And so I got to look at the report. And... I am mostly Scandinavian with a little bit of, you know, kind of Central Europe, Germany sort of area, and a little bit of, like, Finnish Eskimo. None of those groups are the chosen people. I have no blood of Abraham in my veins. I come from the unchosen people. I come from those who are not citizens of Israel. I come from those who are foreigners to the covenants. Maybe you have thought to yourself, I'm just an outsider. I don't know about God. I don't, I don't know the things of God. I'm, not, I'm just not like that. Maybe you've felt like you're excluded. Verse 13 says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You who once were far away have been brought near. Do not believe the lie that you are pushed away from God. You are distant from God. Other people can have a close relationship with God, but not you. Combine faith with this verse, but now in Christ Jesus, meaning that through the sacrifice Jesus made, his body broken for you, by his stripes you are healed, and his blood shed for you by the blood of Christ, we are forgiven. But now in Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. It is this sacrifice that we celebrate through communion that we remember 
It is through this sacrifice that we are brought near. It doesn't matter your genealogy. It doesn't matter what you've been through, what you've done. It doesn't matter the lies you believe about yourself. The truth is, through Christ, you are brought near if you put your faith in what he has done. So let's put our faith on that. Let's receive communion together. And let's trust Almighty God. After we receive communion, I'll invite people up for personal prayer in the front. Let's, let's pray and we'll receive together right now. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have chosen the unchosen, that you have included the excluded, that you have brought in people who never thought they could be close to you. Lord, let us put your faith, our faith in what you've done. Let us put our faith in bloodshed for forgiveness and a body broken for healing, that we may be healed and forgiven and close to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. Let's partake together. This is the body of Christ, which was broken for you. And this is the blood of Christ, which was shed for you. Oh, Lord, we thank you for what you've done. We put our faith in what you've done to make us who you want us to be. Thank you for cleansing us. Thank you for giving us strength and power to overcome. Lord, you are so good. And Father, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. I pray your peace would be upon us. Lord, as we step on a firm foundation that can't be shaken, Lord, we will have peace. And Father, let your joy be in us, knowing we've been brought near, knowing that you choose the unchosen. Lord, give us joy of knowing that we are co-heirs with Christ. And Father, help us to know your love in its fullness so that we can love those who are hard to love in this world. Let us have an overflow. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.